I love visiting Arcadia and seeing so many of you guys that, uh, yeah, we did life together for a while. I mean, three years is a big part of our life, and so um, I'm glad to be back here, and I'm sure you are, because I'm way better at this than Frank is, and it's just a... Um, so <clears throat> I want to jump right in, uh, because we're going to cover a whole book in the Bible, which is a great idea. Um, uh, <laughs> And uh, our, our book, so it's three chapters long, so it's not, it's not too bad, but here's where I want to start. I want to kind of just show what I'm going to do up front early and uh, just show my cards, and then we'll kind of work our way backwards as we get to the end. Uh, and my goal and hope is to lay out what I think Habakkuk is pushing us towards, and so here's how I'd want to do it. It may feel a little bit dramatic, but let me say this. I was saved at 16 years of age, uh, my sophomore year in high school, and uh, about two years of uh, being a Christian. Someone handed me the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I think some of you guys are familiar with that. It's just, if you're not familiar, uh, it's a book of just uh, story after story of brothers and sisters in Christ who gave their life, uh, and they're unbelievable. I mean, just some of them are crazy, some of them are sad. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy book. And I I remember reading one story specifically. I remember where I was sitting, um, what I was thinking, and uh, it was the the 40 Martyrs of Sebasti, which... Um, is an area that is now modern-day Turkey. It happened in 320 AD. And there's a point uh, uh, as to why I'm sharing this. I remember reading this story, and essentially, if you're not familiar with the story, it's these 40 uh, men who were soldiers of Rome in the, what is modern-day Turkey now, and uh, they were found out that they had believed in Christ, and so they were thrown, again, it's in modern-day Turkey, in the winter, uh, which is freezing temperatures, uh, out onto this frozen lake and essentially said, you can either say you don't believe in Jesus or you can die out there, freeze to death. And so they went through the day, through the night, until the next day. Um, one of them ended up coming in, and so there's 39 sitting out there, and the way the story goes is when that one came in, one of the soldiers still saw the 39, yet soldiers that were uh, uh, on the, the shore there, and he actually went out onto the ice and said, if there's whatever's going on within them, I, I want to follow the God that they follow. And so he went out there, and those 40 martyrs, uh, the 40 martyrs of Sebastes, the title of the, the story, they died. They froze to death. And if you can just think for a moment, it wasn't like by firing squad, it was a long, slow, painful death. And I remember reading that story, and I had two questions immediately came to mind. And I don't know if it's the way that I'm wired as to why I went there, but I know it has a tendency to um, lean into me being a driver and like wanting to win at everything. Um, but there were two things that, that really stuck out. The first one was, the question I asked myself is, what do they have that makes them stay out on that ice? I mean, what is within them that goes, like, I could go onto the shore and say I'm done, and, and if you're not familiar with the story, they, uh, the other soldiers made, like, these makeshift hot tubs on the shore and offered that to them, like, had fires, so they said, you can come in, hot water's available, you can get warm, you'll be great. What kept them on that frozen lake? That was, a, I just was like, what is, like, what is within them? What's going on that makes them be all in about this God that they love? Which led to my second question, uh, which was, Whatever they have, do I have that? Like, whatever's within them, whatever's driving them, do I have that? Now, here's why I I share that story, and here's where I think some of this direction is going. So, the book of Habakkuk is the southern kingdom, which Frank laid out last week, uh, a northern kingdom book in Hosea. And and the southern kingdom, with this this book, he's writing it along the same times, if you're familiar at all, with Jeremiah, which uh, Jeremiah sees the uh, coming doom of the Babylonians... uh, essentially kidnapping uh, the people of God, and he sees what's going on, and so what happens, we're going to lay out through all this as we go over an overview, there's like this lament that goes on, but it's, it's a tricky lament, okay, because we can re- read a lament and go, 
God, we're just in this moment saying, why are you doing this? We're crying over what's going on. But there's a, a turn in this lament that I believe ultimately is pushing us towards a question that I think we can all wrestle with. And that is the same question that I think I had for the 40 martyrs of Sebastia. And that is, what does it look like to be all in? Like, what does that look like? How does that process? So it's wedding season, right? And, and during wedding season, whether it be myself, I just had a wedding last night, or so Frank and Cody get weddings all the time. In the process of this wedding, you guys are familiar with the language, right? It's for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And if we can make this declaration to our spouse or our future spouse, how do we not see it as applying to our God? What do we do in the moments, hear me, when the martyrs die? Listen, he could have saved them. You understand? Like, and I don't mean just by miracle, like fire from heaven melting the snow. Yes and amen, he could have done that. He could have changed someone's He could have saved them, but he didn't. He could have saved them, but he didn't. He chose in that moment to let 40 people who serve him die. And so in that moment of tension... When God is not doing what you want, not just in suffering, but when he's pushing against your republicanism, when he's pushing against your nationalism, when he's pushing against your comfort, when the sirens of power and popularity sing that tune and you're drawn to them, in that moment you're confused as to why God is telling you to do what you're supposed to do. In that moment, I can't help but process the Christianity that I've seen over the last four years of being a lead pastor in counseling and discipling people. It's just this American veneer of Christianity reads blown about in the wind. And when the moment of being pushed upon the ice comes upon us, we crush under the weight. There's no density to our Christianity. And what Habakkuk is going to do is he's going to push us into that question. Are you all in? What do you do when God does not do what you want him to? Where are you at with this whole following Jesus thing? I, I was just... Um, on Monday, I was uh, meeting with a, a girl who just got saved at our church. She was saved three months ago, and uh, she's at GCU, and she was talking about some of her friends, and she made this statement. When she was talking about her other friends, there's two specifically that she said she had. She says, yeah, they follow Jesus, but it's weird because um, when we begin to talk about God, it's like we're not talking about the same God. This is, I wrote it down because I thought it was crazy what she said. Listen, she says this, when I say God, it's not the same God. Like he's just an addition to who they are, not all they have. And so for her, being three months into this Jesus thing, going, I thought this was all-encompassing, not just an addition to, to who I am. Because here's the reality. What we're finding within evangelicalism right now is a lot of connecting to false powers and false gods. And when those things are shaken, we're really going to find out who's there standing, who's really all in, who's going out on the lake and not going anywhere. Now, unless we think this is our own power, We'll talk about at the end how, how Habakkuk's going to lead us there. But I will have you know, I know somebody who's famous in our camp, uh, John Piper. Um, uh, John Piper and his wife, Noel, actually use Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 19 as their wedding vows. Just so you can kind of, the, the moment where the poor part of for richer or poor, the sickness part in sickness and in health, when, when worse things happen, when we're at our lows, how do we respond? Even they in that moment saw this would be a good response to that. And so let me give us an overview. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Habakkuk chapter 3, but um, we got to cover, it's so hard to come up, and I don't, <laughs> you come up after those videos to Tim Mackey, and you're like, why am I here right now? <laughs> um, 
So I'll do my best. I, I think he did a great overview. I, I want to um, provide a, a similar overview just so we're on the same page and then push us to the direction of answering that question, which I think Habakkuk is asking, and what does it mean to be all in? So uh, here we go. As you read, if, if you open up the book of Habakkuk, you're going to see this overview of essentially Habakkuk saying something to God, God saying something to Habakkuk, Habakkuk saying something back, God saying something back, and then Habakkuk uh, responding one last time. Now what's interesting, different from um, all other minor prophets, is Habakkuk has embraced the idea that destruction is coming their way. So as you read other minor prophets, what you're going to find is uh, Habakkuk references at some point, or Habakkuk would reference, you see this in Joel or Amos, he, he kind of pivots and goes, people of God, destruction's coming, repent. Well, Habakkuk's not doing that. The time for national repentance is over. And so destruction is coming. And God uh, is laying this on Habakkuk's heart. And as he sees this, he begins this conversation. And, and to, to kind of understand what happens, the first part of what we see in Habakkuk is Habakkuk is seeing how the people of God are acting. And he's going, God, why are you letting this happen? This isn't okay. Well, look, look what I'm looking at. Do you not see this? He even sees if you can look at your Bibles real quick in verse 2. He says this, oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you not hear, or cry to you violence, and you not save. He's seeing what's going on, to the extent of what he's, he's seeing uh, going on. You can see in verse 4, it says this, So the law is slacked, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrender the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Within the family of God, Habakkuk is seeing things are not right, and he goes, they need to be punished. Why are you letting this go on? Now, can we just stop for a moment? Tell me some of us don't feel that. Like, whether you be like, watch the news, you just see something going on in your family, and the prayer is like, Jesus, please come back. Like, if you would come back, like, it would just be better. And this is Habakkuk feeling the weight of going, God, do something. Side note, just a side note, the evil that's going on is in the household of God, FYI. It's not even, he's referencing the household of God, which is something worth contemplating. But God eventually does respond. And his response is, I am going to do something. I'm going to use the Babylonians to punish the people of God. And that's where Tim Mackey did the what? Like that uh, whole thing there. And essentially what it is, is um, God saying, okay, I, I see the wickedness that you're talking about. I've, I've seen it for a while. I'm going to use this people group to punish your people group. And Habakkuk is confused by this because here's the reality. Um, the Babylonians are like, crazy, like wicked crazy, like orcs in Lord of the Rings crazy. Like, don't care, I'll just kill you, I'll kill your children, we're going to enslave everyone. And, and Habakkuk is going, I see the wickedness within uh, the household of God, but I'm looking at the Babylonians, and it's far worse. How is that okay? Like, how are you cool with doing this? And immediately, God responds. Now, he responds in Habakkuk going, you know what? I don't understand what you're doing, so I'm going to stand on this wall and wait for your reply. So let's stop real quick. Let's breathe because this is a lot of Bible at once. Um, I think at the core of what we see in the book of Habakkuk is this dissonance. It's the idea that we talked about when God is not doing what you want him to do. And Habakkuk is feeling the weight of this. God, I want you to do something. And God says, oh, I'm going to do something. And then he does it how he wants. He goes, well, I didn't want you to do it that way. And how relatable is that? God, answer me. And he answers, but it's not the answer you want, and you're frustrated with the answer. This is what Habakkuk is going through. Now, it's important you know that because this is not just some um, private journal from Habakkuk that became public domain that we're getting to read. 
Habakkuk is written intentionally designing us for a liturgy. It is what is the righteous person's response from this point on. God is giving us tangible ways to respond to this dissonance we feel. And that's what's going to end up happening in, in chapter 3. But before we got, get there, here's God's response to Habakkuk as to why he's using the Babylonians. I know you don't understand, but I'm going to punish them too. And he ends up laying out unjust leaders, unjust labors, unjust wages. I see what the Babylonians are doing. And I'm telling you, you're upset that the people of God are performing all these evils. I'll punish them. And, and I'm going to punish them by using this, this people group, this unsanctified people group, to punish them. And I know you don't understand that, but I'm going to punish them. And so there's this whole, like, God, what are you doing right now? I don't get it. And this is the throbbing of Habakkuk. God, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And that leads us to chapter 3. This is where I want to spend most of our time. So um, I don't have all of chapter 3 uh, on the screen. So if you have a Bible, I really would love for you to, to look at it because I think it's uh, helpful. At least you can mark certain things off if you have it um, or on your phone if you want to highlight it. So here's, here's what we have. Um, the first thing that you're going to read in verse 1 is going to point us towards what Habakkuk is supposed to three, supposed to be. Now, this is important. As we read Habakkuk, we've got to be good scholars, you guys. We, we have to be um, good Bible studiers. We, we have to know what we're, because if we just read it and we don't understand how we're supposed to read it, we're going to miss ultimately what's being said here, okay? So this is a prayer of Habakkuk, and I want to argue, and this is going to be an important argument, that it's a song. It's a prayer that Habakkuk is bringing to the table, and it's meant to be a song that is sung for the people of God to respond to moments of dissonance, to respond to moments when you don't understand what God is doing, this is the song that you should sing. Now, there's three reasons I want to, I want to prove this in case you're missing it. The first one is, uh, in verse one, you see a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigananoth, um, which I, I realized in the moment as I read the word in first service, if millennials can make on fleek cool, I'm sure Shigananoth is around the corner. Um, that car is so Shigananoth. Um, <laughs> But all the word means is, it just means to be accompanied with musical instruments for loud praise, okay? So he's very much from the jump saying, what I'm about to say is meant to be in song, okay? It's meant to be liturgical. It's meant to have a rhythm. It's meant to be forming. It's meant to be shaping. You can also see the, the second thing. At the end of it, you'll see, to the choir master with stringed in instruments, that's important as well. It's a reminder, this is song. And then if you look, you can see in verses 3, 9, and 13 is the word selah which is a word for like pause in a song. So chapter three is meant to be read as a song. And this is important because if Habakkuk is an archetype of how the righteous are to respond in moments of, God, I don't know what you're doing, then we need to pay careful attention. Habakkuk wants this song to be sung in the liturgies of the people of God over and over because there are countless times where not just the Israelites, hear me, where you and I don't understand why he didn't save the 40 people on the ice. We don't understand why he did it. Like, like your, your mom died sooner than she should have. Like the sibling passed away sooner than they should have. You're right, that child shouldn't have been born stillborn. Like, I, I get it. The job, like, you shouldn't have lost, and maybe you felt like you were totally taken advantage of there. Or maybe none of those things happen to you, but they're going to. And when that day comes and you don't understand, God gives us a rubric to lean into. Habakkuk chapter 3 to push into, to go, 
this is how I want you to respond to his people. And so this is what he says. Looking at it, if you can would be great. He starts with this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. What he's going to do from verses 2 all the way to verse 15 is he's going to give an account over and over. This is important, of who he is. So in the moments where you don't understand what he's doing now, remember something. Remember who he is. Because if he's the same God that we read about in the Exodus, that he, he will save his people. If he's the same God that he is to Sarah and to Abraham and to Jacob and to Isaac and to David, even past the Bible, if he's the same God that he was to your grandma or your grandma or your mom or your dad, or check it out, or to you, do you remember? Do you remember the moment where he called you? And, and in this moment, you felt like, man, my life is changed, or there was a miracle, hear me, coming from someone who has drug addict parents and now pastoring kids. Like, this is a, listen to the generational leap. Two meth addicts to pastor's kids. That's my life. So people are like, how do you, what's it like to have pastor's kids? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now. I have no idea. And this is the jump. Hear me. There's no going back for me. I'm all in. I have nowhere else to turn. So push me on the ice. And so this isn't a shakable read. This is in this moment, God calls his people in the moments where we don't understand what he's doing to remember who he is. He's been there for his people. He's been there. He has provided. Good Lord, has he provided for the Myers family. Tell me you couldn't say the same. He's provided. So, so, so wherever you are in that dissonance, the first part of this song is remember. I know right now, I know, remember. But right now, I feel like he's not, I know, but remember. You feel, you don't know what's going on, there's all this confusion within you, but you do know what to be true and how we acted in the past. Remember. And then the second thing happens, which is bonkers. The second thing happens in response to us singing that first part. And so instead of just telling you what it is, let me read the verses for you. Listen to this in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Stop real quick. So his, him in, going in this moment, I, I've seen what you did. I know the power. I know how unbelievably powerful you are. I, I see it. I know it to be true. I'm looking back and I can't help but, I love the language, tremble, but I shouldn't be here. And I'm talking, Sean, my, I shouldn't be here. Every statistic was pushing against me. I sh but God in his goodness, hear me, you shouldn't be here. But God in his goodness has you here. But the next part I think is unreal. Yet, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. This is huge. You ready? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Listen to this, yet. So maybe a, a better way we can even articulate this, I think this is the way the New, uh, New Living Translation, even if. Even if, let me read it again. Even if 
The fig tree should not blossom, even if there's no fruit on the vines, even if the produce of the olive fail, even if the fields have no food, even if the flock is cut off, even if the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, even if that is true, even though I know you could have rescued those men, those soldiers on the ice that day in 320 AD, even though I know you could have, even when you don't, even when you don't, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take my joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Do you hear what God is pushing us towards? It's, it's like, hear me, the American version of Christianity can't hold itself under that kind of weight. Do you understand? If Jesus is a part of what you do, you will be crushed on the day of ice. You won't make it. And so when all of this comes at you, when Jesus pushes against your own proclivities and your own desires and the way you want things to play out, you won't stand. But a true believer who follows Jesus at all costs, who burns those bridges, who does not look back and is fit to follow the kingdom, according to Luke 9.62, the, the fall of Jesus in this moment, looks ahead and says, even if there's no fruit on the vine, I'm in. Amen. I trust you. I don't know what's going on. And never in this moment does Habakkuk say there is clarity. Quite the contrary. All he sees is the cutting off of the herd. There's the olive is not producing. The fruit is not on the vine. There's no food. We're hopeless. I feel like I've got nothing. But even if that's true, I'll trust in the God of my salvation. And as I was like processing this, I um Part of my seminary experience was there's this question that was always asked. It was called listening from the couch. And it's this idea that instead of just trying to break down the text as you read it and you meditate on it, um, what begins to like turn within you? And as I was processing this question, because I feel like this is what Habakkuk is putting in front of us, that even though the Babylonians are doing what they're doing, the people of God are doing, God, I don't know. But even if that's true, I'm, I'm going to still trust in the God of my salvation I couldn't help but think of two chapters in the Bible. And I didn't even want to read them because I think that's sometimes goofy in the way that we do um, exegesis at redemption sometimes. But I couldn't get these two things out of my mind. And so I actually want to read them. We won't read all of them, but there's these parts that I want to read. So if you can, can you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for me? I know it's a big ask. Um, turn your Bible, heaven forbid. Um, but Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and if you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11... Uh, it's, it's what's been called like the hall of faith. It's this, this long chapter essentially declaring these people who had faith in the Old Testament. So it's like, look at Abraham. He trusted God. Look at Isaac. He trusted God. Look at Samson, which if you've read Sam, the judges, you're like, I don't think he trusted God. Um, but, but as you kind of read these stories, this is this, this over and over. Look, look, look. And I want to pick it up because something happens in 35 for us to point back and see why Habakkuk is calling us to sing this song in moments of dissonance. Listen to this. Uh, let's start in verse 32. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, goes on, so on and so forth, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Listen to what God did. Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty and war, put foreign armies to flight. Crazy. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So stop real quick. Do you hear what he's saying? 
It would take forever to tell you how there was a moment where one of the people of God were thrown in a den, and it was full of lions, and somehow these lions did not eat Daniel. God did something. It would take me forever to tell story after story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not being burned, about Sarah becoming pregnant. It would be crazy, the conquering of kingdoms in Joshua. I couldn't tell you. I could go on and on. And he describes it story after story. Listen to how good God is. Listen to how good God is. Listen to how good God is. This is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 2 through 15. Listen, remember, remember. But then he turns it on its head. Women receive their dead children back by resurrection. Here, ready? Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all, of all these, though commended, this is crazy, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Yes and amen, God is so good when Sarah becomes pregnant when it seems physically impossible. God is so good to save his people out of 400 years of slavery and part water. That's amazing. God is so good to not allow this pride of lions to eat this man. God is so good. He's so good. And he's also really, 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 really good. He's so, so good, just as good as he was when he stopped the mouse of lions when someone was cut in two, when someone was burned at the stake. He's just as good. His, his goodness in that moment didn't change. He's just as good. And in that moment, you don't feel like you understand, but as this turns in light of all of God's victory, we feel like we start to read stories of defeat, but that is not the narrative. These men and women looked at the saw, they looked at the fire, they looked at the ice and said, I'm all in, praise God. Praise God. And, and I can't help but process what that means, which leads us to the second uh, verse I want to read. So it's in First uh, Peter. If you can turn there for me, that would be great. And this is where we'll, we'll wind this down. In First Peter, this was actually the first verse I thought of in this um, processing what I think the heart of Habakkuk is. And it's in First Peter chapter 3. We're just going to read verses 3 through 9. Um, and it says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So just stop real quick. You became a Christian because God caused you to be a Christian. So he brought you here. He like those 40 men, they're Christians because Jesus brought them there. L listen to the language again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is what Jesus did. And it feels like he left us, but listen, he causes us to be born again, right? Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Just stop. You ready? Just hear it. Do, do you hear it? Let me read it. Maybe you, maybe you didn't hear it. We have a power in our salvation that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is being guarded and it will be revealed one day. Now listen to this. In this you rejoice. You ready? 
though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revolution of, revelation of Jesus Christ. Though, this is awesome, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is money, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You, just, you hear what he just said? So we refer as Christians that we are saved, but it's this bonkers way to describe our, uh, like our, our existence with God because it's like this past, present, and future way to describe where we are. The reality is we say we are saved, but that salvation has not come uh, in actuality and that the day of judgment has not come yet. And so we are saved. And what 1 Peter 1.9 just said is, you've received the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. So you know you are secure. God has got you. He's got you. And that means leading up to that moment, he's going to test the genuineness of your faith. He's going to say, are you in? Do you have a real faith? Do you, do you go about like the reeds? Are you pushed around or are you planted? Are you on the ice? What God are you holding to? How much are you pressing into knowing who he is? Now, hear me. I love this. This is the beauty of all of this. Because right now, you can't see him, but you love him. You, you can't touch him. You can't hold him. He can't hug you, but you believe in him. And that's not easy. I get it. That's not easy. And this is the dissonance we live in, which in all actuality, I think why Habakkuk is a beast when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus does not just in actuality fulfill the book of Habakkuk in that he suffers and is resurrected, but in prophecy. There is no other gospel. And I, I don't want to sit here and say that everybody here is a Christian. I don't want to assume that everyone here is a Christian. But there are so many false gospels. There are so many things vying to tell us to follow. But there is no gospel out there. There is no good news out there that can promise what this gospel is promising. And that is this. One day, there will be fruit on the vine. Right now, it feels like there's not, but one day, no one in the fold will be lost. One day, God will give you the ability to exist. This is awesome. Without faith, you won't need faith. You will see him. You will touch him. You will know him in seeing him in actuality. And every other version, every other false gospel can't provide this because it's, it's giving you the immediate. Now, follow this and, and get some kind of comfort, but it lets you down over and over and over. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying, look, look at me, look at me. I know right now you don't understand, but there will be a day where you do. There will be a day where there will be fruit on the vine and you will have me. And I pray that we would see not just the goodness for ourselves, but the watching world around us would know, man, they follow something deeper denser. There's something more about them and they see what we're doing and how we're walking out loving Jesus Christ and our hopes and mission and they want to know more. And that's what we do. We live for God before man, living out this constant rhythm of Habakkuk chapter 3. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful. Habakkuk chapter 3 is a reminder that this is not our own power that we rely on faith and it is something you gave us, something that you continue to, 
sustain us and, and hold us along. And there are moments where we feel like we want to give up. There are moments where we feel like we don't understand. It does not make logical sense. We don't know what you're doing. There's dissonance about how we're processing our relationship with you amidst all of that. Whether it be the pushing out on ice to suffer um, freezing to death or whether it be us simply putting our philosophies of parenting up against yours, our philosophies of seeing how work should be done up against yours and submitting to the fact that you are the boss and that our lives need to humbly come before you and take a posture of second. Let us know this to be true. We need your help, Jesus. This is not something we do. This is not our, our own grit, but it's your power. It's your goodness. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're going to take a moment and respond. And uh, there's a few ways that we do this. I'm sure you guys are more familiar with how you do it here. Um, but we're going to worship at the end. As a matter of fact, I want to read something to you. It's okay if I steal your iPad. Of course it is, yeah. Um, so Rick, it's like, yeah. Um, we're going to sing a song in a minute. And, and I love, I didn't hear this till uh, first service, but the chorus goes like this. Be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. You are worthy, Lord of all, and unto you the slain and risen King. We lift our voice with heaven, singing worthy, Lord of all. This, what Habakkuk has given us is this declaration that generations before us, the people of God before us, and the people of God after us have one thing. Even though I don't know what you're doing, God, even though I don't fully understand, I trust you. A thousand generations, this will be the reckoning over and over and over again. I trust you. So we're, we're going to worship. The second way is there's a way to give, uh, whether you see that on the screen or some boxes in the back. And then lastly, we're going to take communion together, which um, is a huge uh, benefit in this moment, specifically thinking through Habakkuk in that um, what, what we're told in 1 Corinthians is that we're to look back and forward when we take communion. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're looking back on Jesus Christ and what he has done. But you also hold this hope that he will return one day. And so we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the wine or juice, whatever your preference is, and we remember his shed blood, the sign of the new covenant, his body that was given up for us. And now we live following Jesus Christ, who himself in the garden said, not my will, but your will be done. That's what as Christians we do. So I want to say this, if you're not a believer, this may feel like I'm saying you don't take communion. It's not that nobody here doesn't want you to take communion. But if you're not a believer, does it make sense for you to celebrate something you don't believe? would ask that you would honor, is that my music to get off the stage? Um, this is the, the Grammys. Um, I want to thank Jesus. Okay, I love you guys. Take communion.